Welcome to this episode of Life in the Den. I'm Daniel Buckwalter, your host, and this week we're going to be diving into one of the hardest questions that Christians have to address, and that simply is, what does God want us to do with our money? We're going to wrestle with questions like, should I be tithing 10%? What does it mean to set money aside for retirement? How do we start living in faith with our finances? And so much Last week, we talked about how to live an authentic Christian community. And I always think that's an important place to start because a lot of how Christians are meant to spend their finances are built around those same ideas. Something I always tell people is that our God is very rarely individualistic. When we look at scripture, God is a God that makes covenants with communities. He's a God that promises the generations, that blesses communities, and often not individuals. Even when you go there, like Abraham, like Abraham was blessed, but the blessing was not for him. It was for him and the generations to follow. Now, I hate talking about finances. As I was getting ready to record this episode, I was just thinking back to my first time preaching over finances as a senior pastor which was not very long ago. And I had so much stress and anxiety as I was getting ready to have this conversation. Because I think if we're being honest, money is a huge idol in a lot of people's lives. And when you start to poke people and prod them about their finances and their future, that's when you start to really hit a conversation that people don't like to be authentic with. And I understand for a lot of people, there's pain there. I don't do this often, but I'm just going to leave a disclaimer for if you're listening right now. I'm not going to sugarcoat this conversation. So if you stay, we're going to talk about what it means to radically follow Christ with your money. And a lot of this is going to go against a lot of common American church teaching because we love to teach American stewardship and not biblical stewardship. We love to teach protecting me, myself, and I and not protecting the community. We love to preach what's best for myself and maybe my family and not what's best for the community of believers. So that being said, let's start this journey together today. And where better to start, and you you see this all the time because our goal is to be disciples of Jesus and be like Jesus and be like his early followers, we're going to start in Acts with some of the things that the early church practiced. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 35. And what it says is, Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostle gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. That is a powerful passage that describes some of the ways that the early church was practicing communal finances. Now, I want you to think about this, and if I'm being honest, this is a little bit of fan fiction on my part, but I can easily imagine it being a reality. I don't just see this as a casual handover of a bag of of coins. It was the structured placing of kingdom assets into a trusted channel for impact. Imagine the journey of the giver. 
a gentle nudge from the Holy Spirit, followed by a season of wrestling doubts and prayer and saying, God, how could you expect me to trust you in this new kind of way? How could you expect me to take my land, take my finances, take my family name and our our heirlooms and all these things that we've been storing up and give it to other people? Then there would finally be that moment and action would take place to make that gift a reality. Finally, the formal handover proceeds to the apostles, and it would fuel the church's growth and caring for the members of the body. Now, that's a pretty picture, but what does it mean for us to go on this journey? I think the first thing we have to do is we have to recognize that we are meant to be a people of generosity. So, historically, Rome very much functioned on a system of reciprocity. And what that means is that if someone gave something to someone, the cultural expectation was that they would repay them in something in the same thing or something of equal value. And so what happened is if someone gave you something and you could not reciprocate it, you were in debt to them. And so what you'd see is all these rich Romans doing these extravagant things for each other and these rich people taking care of the lesser, but the lesser were indebted to them, worked for them, were basically owned by them. But we see that what the church is doing is they were doing it in a way where the rich of the community were liquidating to provide for the needs of the community's poorest, giving the money to the apostles and thus expecting nothing in return and no social credit. So it would be like if you were my friend and we both were very wealthy and I gave a throw this gigantic party for you. And what would be expected is you then go and throw a gigantic party for me. But let's say another one of our friends comes up and he just can't afford to eat. And we give him food and obviously he can't repay us for that food. He's then indebted to me and I am in a sense over him. But the church was never meant to function that way. We're all equal in Christ. And so the system challenges how Romans would have seen it. It's saying there's no form of tribute here in tributee, but rather we have people who are just giving to each other free of wanting the credit and the social recognition and the power that comes with being over other people. So what does this teach us? I think something that we often run into in money conversations in the church is there's two sides to the conversation. There are those who say, well, money is great and I can be a good steward for myself with it. And it's this very me, myself, and I focus that we find in the Western church. But then we also have people who are just like, well, all money's bad. No one should have wealth. No one should be above others financially. And I don't think that's necessarily biblical per se. But often what we see in scripture is a call for those with money to give to those who do not have. You know, and a great example of this can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'm just going to jump in at verse 8 and read through 15. It says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though that he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here in my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty 
plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as is written, the one who has gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. This is powerful, because it's saying one, which is a truth we should recognize, that often it's about the why of what we're doing. You know, I was preaching a sermon today over the kingdom of God, and a point I made is that you could have two people both that were doing perfect action, living completely sinless each day, although I'd say without the Holy Spirit and Jesus, that's not going to happen. But in the example, just for the sake of argument, I was saying we have one person who is doing it because they love Christ, and the other is doing it because they love the praise of man. Only one of those people would enter into the kingdom of God, and that'd be the one that's doing it because they love Christ and they're following him and not the one who's doing it just to be praised by others. And so it kind of catches that idea here that, hey, it's about why you do it. Are you doing this and giving what you can do to the best of your ability because of your love for God and that love of God? If you think back to Matthew chapter 22, where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And then Jesus follows up and says, also to love your neighbor as yourself. So one, you're loving God because you're doing it for God. And two, you're loving your neighbor as yourself and giving them generously to them so that their needs are met recognizing that one day god will use that same community to provide for your needs and you will have what you need and i think that's such a crazy idea to think about because so often we talk that being a good steward of finances is to have a roth ira that's stacked up to make good investments to fill your 401k to have enough money set aside so that if anything happens you'll be fine And really what we're saying is live financially in a way that you don't have to ever rely on God and that you're forcing people in the community to go without. And oof, it sounds really bad when you say it that way. But John Wesley said, the believer's provision for the needs of one another is undisputable evidence of God's grace. And so what we're seeing here, going back to the reason I read that verse, is wealth isn't bad. It's a responsibility. We have to live generously with whatever we have. And that applies more than to just money. But we often leave money out when it comes to this topic. We want to give our talents, but not as the biblical people would say, talents. We want to give whatever we can as long as it's not our financial well-being. Really what it comes down to, and why money is such an easy idol to create, is we don't have to rely on God. It's much easier to put enough money aside to save up a ton of money and steward it in the way of the world and not the way of the kingdom so that we can look back and say, well, I'm not going to have to worry about being provided for. I have mine. I know I'm safe. But it really comes down to the fact that we ignore what God is calling us to do so that we can just rely on ourselves because we don't think God's actually going to show up. And a lot of time we'll be like, well, I trust God. I just don't trust the people in the church. But God has promised to use those people to provide for you. So we are really saying you don't trust God. But what does it mean to be a people of generosity? So often I hear this idea perpetuated that storehouse tithing is something that still applies to the New Testament church. Well, you just have to go tithe 10% and you're good. Realistically, we aren't called to the 10%. Tithing is not a biblical command in the time of Jesus. We are free from that Old Testament requirement. And I know some people are saying, amen, I've been telling my pastor that for weeks. But the difference is that now everything is God's. We aren't called to the 10%. We're called to the 100%. Tithing, in a sense, is doing the bare minimum. And I say that not because 10% is required, but because if we cannot be faithful to our community, which, by the way, thinking above, we have responsibility to take care of the needs and the people of our community. If we can't do that with 10%, there's no way we're going to be faithful with 100%. 
What we must wrestle with is that if God does not have 100% of our finances, then we're serving mammon rather than God, aka money. That if we don't give God 100% of who we are and what we have, that is an idol we have created. Because we've said, God, I'm willing to give you this, but not this. And that means we're saying, God, that is above you. A way of describing the early church community is that it was not a soup kitchen, but a cookout or potluck. It's not about who brings the most, but that everyone in the community is participating to the best of their ability. Now, I'm going to be honest, I'm not smart enough to come up with that. I actually read it in The King's Economy. It's a book I read in grad school, but that's how it described it. It's like the church is a cookout or a potluck. Everyone brings what they can within their means. And I didn't really understand this when I read it, but now I think about all the potlucking I do as a pastor and in a church that's living in community. And the older, more established people of the church, they almost always provide the main dish for the community. And the younger people who are less established always bring the sides. And it's because they have more time and more means and more capability than we do. And so they provide what they can, and then we come in the side and supplement what they bring. You see, equality is not necessarily the same thing as equity. We all do not have the same in our church, but everyone's needs are met and the people who have more provide for those who have less. And that's what the church is supposed to look like. And so something, uh, it, it sounds bad, but you, stay with me. Are our finances focused on the me and not the we? That's a super cheesy line and I get it. But it's important because we've been taught to only think about ourselves or our people when we're called to think about the community and the people of God. We are called to be a part of a kingdom, not of self-reliance and large storehouses, but a kingdom of generosity. And so this is where I really start to challenge, I feel like, the notion of our culture about what being a good steward means. Because so often we're toward being a good steward is having three months of your, your needs slash probably some wants stacked up in your savings account so if anything goes wrong that you're set it's about having enough set aside for retirement and so you know you don't live generously now so that one day you can live generously without having to worry about yourself where we start to look at some of these ideas that have really been perpetuated in the church and we have to wrestle with the fact that those don't those might not be biblical I think another thing that really pushes here is so often we're taught to reap the rewards of good money decisions without thinking who's harmed buy those money decisions. So we start thinking about having a large storehouse. What does that mean? That means that there's people in our community probably whose needs are not met and there's parts of the kingdom that are not really being built. Now, I don't want to go super deep into this because honestly, in this podcast episode, we don't have time. So listen back because I'm going to be doing a whole series on finances later on in the year. But we're supposed to build a kingdom and be part of a kingdom where people are not self-reliant but we're reliant on each other, that the community takes care of one another. And if we're living in a way where our money is being used purely for our good and not the good of the people around us and the community around us, then we're probably living in a way that does not reflect the kingdom of God. Well, not to build a kingdom of the flesh, but a kingdom of the spirit. And like I said, despite popular teachings and the common lessons of American investments, I miss the sermon in the parable, parable about having generational wealth. I missed the point in the New Testament where Jesus said, hey, stack up the money you have and keep it for yourself so that your kids can prosper. I don't see that anywhere. The point where it says stack all that money up so that your kids can have what you want them to have and not what Jesus has said they need. 
when we invest, so often our investments do not reflect the kingdom of God. We invest in companies that are investing in the porn industry to make money, who are supporting human trafficking, that are supporting sweatshops. But instead of doing our due diligence and looking where our money's going when we toss it into these big investment groups because we're just focused on the bottom dollar and are they making me money, we oppress people all around the world through our inability to care about others and look what we're doing with our money. Sorry, I know that's a tangent, but I'm passionate and I'm hoping that this will get you to start thinking about that. Where is your money going? What are you investing in? How does that 401k continue to stack up money year in and year out? Is your money being used for good or evil? Is it being used for the world of the flesh or the the world and the work of the spirit? Is it being used to build the kingdom of God or is it being used to build the fleshly empire of the beast? Because we are accountable to what we do with what God has given us. And so one day we will have to give a full account of the money that we have. We're going to have to look Christ in the eyes and answer for what we did and what we did not do with it. I don't know about you, but when I look at scripture, I just think of Matthew 24, 43 through 44 on this topic. It says, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Why does that matter for finances? Because let's say I stack up $10,000 in my bank account for a rainy day and I'm sitting on it and I'm like, one day I'm going to use this or it's for my retirement. And Christ comes back tomorrow, I will stand in front of Christ and I'll have to answer from why I had $10,000 set aside that were not used for building up the kingdom. And personally, I don't think saying while saving for my retirement is going to be an answer that matches the teachings of Jesus. And everything on this podcast always goes back to one reality, that we are called to be disciples of Jesus. And what that means is to be his apprentice, to be like him, to look like him, and do what Jesus would do if he was us. And so if we have, if we look at something and say, I don't think Christ would have done that with his finances, or I don't think Christ would have supported how that money's being spent or what it's being used to build, then I think we have to wrestle with the fact that we don't look like Christ and we're failing at our calling to follow Jesus and be his disciple. Because everything on this podcast comes back to discipleship. So are you being a disciple with the way that you use your finances? Now, I'm not going to sit here for you today and draw some hard lines. And like I said earlier, this is such an expansive topic, and there's so much good conversation and church history that can go into it. And that's why I'm saving it for an entire series later in the year. But I just wanted us to start thinking about how we spend our money. To start questioning, especially on Palm Sunday, when we recognize the Lordship of Jesus. Is our money going towards the kingdom of God in heaven or the kingdom of the beast? There is no net neutral. We are either building the kingdom or we are breaking the kingdom. And so every dollar we spend is either being used for the good of the kingdom or for the good of the beast. And I think that's a reality, especially in a global world where so so many of the things we buy in the West are oppressing people and hurting people and abusing people that we have to be vigilant about. And for me, I just think investing is just the place where we do this so blindly. We just throw our money into big funds and go, well, I'm making money off it, not recognizing that we're funding things that we would never support in broad daylight. But like we know that scripture teaches, everything will one day come to the light. And I'm hoping as a community and as believers, we can come together and start pooling our finances in a way that says we are here to build the kingdom of God, to help the poor and needy, and nothing 
less than that. That we can become a church that looks like the church in Acts chapter 4, where we met all the needs of our community. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Life in the Dim. I hope that you've enjoyed your time with me and that you've gained valuable insights and perspectives that help you in your pursuit of following Christ. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with your friends and family and give us a rating and review. Join us next week as we continue to explore and grow together in our faith. Until then, keep following Jesus, and I'll see you next time.